Welcome to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Indian Ocean World Podcast. My name is Philip Gooding. This podcast is an interview between Dr. Alexander Joost and Jude Jerksen, two of our colleagues at the University of Salzburg. Dr. Joost is asking the questions. He is a senior scientist in the history department at the University of Salzburg. Within the field of global history, his research focuses on exchange relations between China, the Middle East and Europe in the early modern period, as well as the history of science and technology in East Asia in general. He has studied Islamic and Chinese studies in Turbigan and Istanbul, and has worked as the head of the European Center for Chinese Studies at Peking University for five years. Su Chirksin is answering the questions, which are about his ongoing PhD research. He obtained a master's degree in interdisciplinary medieval studies at Central European University, Budapest. His studies include historical anthropology, material culture, and animal studies, especially concerning the perceptions and images of horses in 13th and 14th century China and Central Europe. He has been a PhD student at the University of Salzburg since 2015, investigating the history of maritime activities in South and Southeast China and its neighboring regions during the so-called Tang Song transition period by analyzing official records, inscription sources, and visual materials. He is currently in the final stages of completing his PhD. Thank you also to Professor Angela Schottenhammer of KU Leuven for facilitating this interview. But without further ado, I now pass you on to Dr. Joost. Welcome to our new podcast today from Salzburg and our guest is Xu Zhexin. Good morning, Zhexin, and thanks for coming. Uh, good morning, Alexander. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, Zhexin is going to speak about his dissertation research today, which is part of the partnership project Appraising Risk, Past and Present, Interrogating Historical Data to Enhance Understanding of Environmental Crisis in the Indian Ocean World, that is uh, sponsored by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and is directed at McGill University by Professor Gwyn Campbell. And it's implemented here at Salzburg University with a focus on China and East Asia under the supervision of Professor Angela Schottenhammer. Jochen, your research is entitled Interregional, especially maritime trade and its impact on local societies across the southeastern coastal parts of medieval China. And your chronological focus is the Tang to Song period, which is basically the 7th to 13th century. Mm -hmm. And your uh, regional focus are the modern provinces of Zhejiang, Fujian, and Guangdong. Why did you choose that as your target region? Uh, yes, um, there are actually several reasons for me to choose these three regions as the target regions of my research. Firstly, I think these three regions shared uh, close similarities in the aspect of natural and geographical landscape because most of their territory constitutes of mountains and hills. Consequently, human settlements such as cities, towns, and villages developed around river valleys as well as coastal plain estuaries. Due to the mountainous landscape and the hinterlands, the extensive local river systems play also an important role in all over these three regions. 
both regarding interregional transportation and the transshipment of goods. The seasonal monsoon that um, are so essential for Indian Ocean world as a whole also shaped and influenced China's agricultural activities and people's daily lives in these regions. The monsoon system also led to seasonal regularity of interregional trade, especially maritime trade, among these three regions. So you're actually mainly looking at natural conditions, at geographical mm -hmm. conditions when defining this region, right? Yes, exactly. And I think besides natural or climate uh, factors, concerning the historical context of this target period, they also shared certain similarities in terms of political systems. From the late Tang period to the end of the so-called Five Dynasties or Wudai period in Chinese, there is this period from the ninth to the late 10th centuries. These three regions were all directly governed by local rulers who later all claimed kingships, in contrast to nominal imperial governments as we see it in North China. Consequently, under the rulership of the Wuyue Kingdom in Zhejiang and the Ming Kingdom in Fujian and the Southern Han Kingdom in Guangdong, these regions possessed considerable regional autonomy concerning their political, financial, military, and trading affairs. Therefore, I think it is meaningful for me and it's important to focus on these three regions and analyze them in a competitive analytical manner, trying also to find out differences in their specific developments and in the characteristics of their interaction uh, during this period. Mm -hmm. So you are looking at these regions during the period from the 7th to the 13th century. What's particularly interesting about this period? Yes, uh, this is a great question. Actually, this period interests me very much. The Wudai on the so-called Five Dynasties period actually constitutes an important period in Chinese history. Uh, according to my knowledge. It is not only a dynastic transitional period between two well-known and long-lasting centralized imperial dynasties, namely the Tang and the Song dynasties, but also a pivotal transformation period in regard to China's political, socio-economic, commercial, and intellectual ideological structure, going along with many technological innovations both domestic and falling trade were promoted in order to help the state to increase its income, in particular in face of increasing expenditure. To provide an example here, the Song government's income from commercial taxes and the government monopolies was significant. Its national revenue nine times as great as the Ming dynasty. Historians even speak of an economic revolution with great impacts on local life and society. These social economic changes subsequently also lead to a new consciousness and self-concept among the social elites and the intellectuals. Uh, they cause changes in ideology. In traditional Chinese historiography, the Wudai period has usually been depicted as a chaotic and a turbulent period because of frequent and bloody civil wars. Thus, to a certain extent, the perception of the Wudai period may be compared to that of the Middle Ages in a Western context, where the later was also usually labeled as a Dark Age, and even the term medieval itself has a somewhat negative 
connotation in modern-day uh, English. However, just as in the Middle Ages, it is problematic to simply generalize the Wudai period as also a Dark Age. So in traditional historiography, mm -hmm. uh, we are looking at this period as a Dark Age, but how does modern historical research see this? Yes, actually, uh, present-day historians also argue that one should pay more attention to to this period, namely the Wudai period, and the synergists in Western academic world nowadays also call this period as Tangsum transformation. One of the most influential and well-known concepts about the periodization of medieval Chinese history is the so-called Tangsum transition theory developed by the Japanese scholar Naito Konan and his followers. While there has been a heated debate about his ideas, especially about his thesis that the Song Dynasty constituted the end of the so-called Chinese Middle Ages and the beginning of modernity, its key argument that the Tangsum period played a major role in Chinese history has interested various historians in recent decades. In Western scholarship, for scholars who emphasize the important role played by the Song Dynasty in Chinese history, social mobility within that so-called gentry society was one of their main concerns. The theoretical framework established by Robert Hartwell in 1980s was an influential one, in which he started to use the term transformation rather than transition to refer to far-reaching social changes that occurred in the Song Dynasty. Uh, so uh, actually this change of terms wants to imply that while transition is more something passive, something that happens to that period, transformation is something very active. So we mm -hmm. are looking at a period that is crucial for the changes that we are witnessing, right? Yeah, it shows some ch changing and developing ideas in previous scholarship. And according to Hardware theory, the Song Dynasty was a transformation period as the rising local elites, to a certain extent, replaced the professional elites appointed by the imperial government in local affairs. Henceforth, uh, it was also a common scholarly opinion to consider the Song Dynasty as, above all, a period of change, a turning point in a long strip of Chinese history. However, it has been noticed that the changes that took place in the Song Dynasty had their roots already in the previous Tang and Wudai periods, which in my opinion does not have to be considered as entirely different from the Song, but rather as a transition period. And in his recent article published in 2016, the American historian Hugh Clark strongly emphasized the important role played by the Tangsum Interregnum from a broader perspective of Chinese history, as he argued that those southern kingdoms deserved more attention when one studied the economic development of the later Song Dynasty. So following this previous academic discussion, uh, my research chiefly focuses on the interconnectivity and the continuity in multiple social aspects from the late Tang to the early Song period, uh, which is regarded as an integrity in my dissertation. In theoretical aspects, the Tang-Song transition theory mostly provides me a temporal framework for my research, refuting the idea of treating the Tang, the Wudai, and the Song period separately 
from each other or to study and understand social changes within this time range. My research will also avoid certain teleological views from history in past discussions about the Townsend transition theory. So you actually do not want to pick out these several decades of Wu Dai of five dynasties history, but you uh, want to look at the Tang period, the Wu Dai period, and the Song period together. It's a huge time period of about six hundred years. That's mm -hmm. a lot. How are you going to tackle this? Yes, exactly. As I mentioned before,、um, I don't want to treat them as a separate piece of mosaic, but I would like to、um, consider them as.、Uh, Integrity. So I think my research is somehow influenced by certain methodologies developed in Western scholarship, especially in the Brodelian model、um, on Mediterranean world. And according to Mediterranean world model, his theory is pre recently prevalent among historians of maritime ancient history. Also,、uh, its two fundamental elements, the concept of the long delay, as well as the focus on exchanges. And human environment interactions are both closely related to my own doctoral research, since I attempt to produce a long-term narrative about the dynamics of these coastal regions in southeastern China, including their hinterlands, through looking at the interregional networks of communities, people, and goods. As an American historian、um, Pamela Kersley summarized. The long delay is the delay that is long enough to recapture a sense of sequence and causation, long enough to transcend individual and mark the experience of communities, regions, and continents. In the case of Tang Udai Sum China, the extensive time range permits me to study the causation of economic regionalism, the formation and establishment of new political institutions. And in the transformation of certain local societies, focusing on their interaction between people and their economic activities, and their natural, social, institutional, and political environment. And、um, you mentioned exchange as、mm -hmm. a key concept of Fernand Brodel. How does that reflect in your research? The concept of exchange was actually a very important concept in Brodel's three-stage theory about European economic history, as he suggested that there were three spheres of economic development in European context, namely the material life, market economy, and capitalism. According to his explanation, the scale of exchange marked the differences of those stages. And capitalism was defined by its capacity to generate exchange values.、Uh, in my research, those activities, organizations, and places related to interregional trade and transshipment of goods remain key subjects. While this research is now a theoretical survey on concepts such as commodity economy or capitalism sprouts popular in past scholarship. Exchange through trade and commerce is still one of the main threats for me to analyze interregional interaction and connections.、Mm -hmm. So your research is not a theoretical survey, but it's actually close to the primary sources. It's close to the local and、uh, regional events, to the things that really that really mattered on the spot. So, what are the questions you are asking in particular to contribute 
to the discussion about those concepts we're just talking about. Yes, uh, rather than simply adapting traditional dynastic periodization, uh, my dissertation regards the uh, least historical periods ranging from the early 10th century to the late 13th century as an undivided, coherent, uh, transitional time period due to its internal continuities in regional development, the interaction between central and local, and its institutional design. Following the previous discussion on the Townsend transition theory, which will be further illustrated in the course of my dissertation, my research attempts to analyze uh, the roles played by different parties, including the central imperial courts, regional authorities, and local communities within their contemporaneous political, economic, and social context in order to examine to what extent local Chinese societies transformed during this transitional period. In geographical aspects, uh, my research principally targets on three neighboring coast regions of southeastern China, as I mentioned earlier. With similar geographical conditions, I think um, the loss of these three coastal regions actively involved in the transshipment of goods within an interregional trading network in contemporary society. In political aspects, the regional kingdoms under investigation enjoyed considerable autonomy since the late Tang Dynasty, which further shaped these regions as three comparatively independent and enclosed geographical units. Consequently, they developed policies and institutions based on local conditions and developed different regional patterns to optimize economic and political profits. Through comparative regional case studies, my research will also discuss the similarities and the differences among these three regional cases and further analyze their causes and the influences in Chinese society. To investigate these research questions, a thorough analysis of the interregional interaction between people, their economic activities, and their natural, social, institutional, and political environment between centers and hinterland is intriguing, as is the question how they responded to natural, social, economic, institutional, or political changes. This is where the question of appraising risks comes onto the agenda also, in my opinion. Ah, this is where the question of appraising risks comes onto the agenda. In which way? Uh, I think here I'd like to provide you certain examples I encounter while dealing with primary sources. Uh, one of the most important primary sources for my research are biographical uh, data, which include tomb inscriptions as well as epitaphs preserved in contemporary intellectual essay collections. Through reading and analyzing these materials, I found various records uh, related to natural disasters such as typhoon, floods, and uh, widespread disease. Also, these accounts provide information about the impact of such events on local societies. Yeah, could you give us uh, an example here? Yes. Here I would like to introduce an example from the collection of the epitaphs composed by a famous Southern Song scholar named Ye Shi, who was active around present-day Zhejiang province. Around uh, the early 13th century, he wrote an epitaph for the mother of a local officer 
who was the supervisor of the official market at Yuhuan Island by the coast of Zhejiang. In this epitaph, he noted that in the year 1166, there was a huge typhoon hitting this island and causing severe casualties. For example, several 10,000 of inhabitants lost their lives during this disaster. One of the main purposes uh, why Ye Shi mentioned this typhoon was to stress the contribution of the son of the deceased lady for reconstruction works after the disaster. It still provides us with valuable information about the quantity and the scale of contemporary insular inhabitants, as well as the impact of a destructive natural disasters. Yeah, so these these regions you're talking about are particularly prone to suffer from those kind of natural disasters, mm-hmm. and uh, of course they also benefit from their location at the at the sea from the possibilities of exchange mm-hmm. that uh, come from this location. But how do how do the inhabitants how do people uh, deal with this situation? Yeah, this is a great question because um, I think in the local societies was not only passively influenced by those uh, natural disasters or uh, natural risks, but also they actively transformed the labeling and the local natural environment and landscape. Uh, when investigating interregional connections between hinterland and the coastal societies, I noticed that uh, the natural landscape of both the coastal and the hinterland regions was shaped and transformed on the basis of the exploitation of local natural sources and the production of uh, commercial goods such as porcelains, tea, and other economic agricultural products. In the coastal regions, local authorities also actively host construction projects for transportation facilitate um, such as building canals and seaports in order to develop and keep political and economic connection with their allies in northern China uh, through sea routes, where the overland transportation was feared due to civil wars and new territorial boundaries between hostile regional regimes. Uh, in the early 10th century, both of the founding rulers of Zhejiang's Wuye Kingdom and Fujian's Ming Kingdom conducted large-scale dredging and constructing operations on seaports by their lawyer calls. It is also interesting that both of them were depicted as godlike heroes who had destroyed those huge rocks breaking the seaports with their supernatural power, according to contemporary texts. Such mystical stories and narrative pattern noted by contemporary chroniclers not only showed the fabrication of these regional governors as legitimate rulers holding heavenly mandate, but also presents the importance of promoting Paul's development to facilitate uh, maritime transportation within contemporary situation. Moreover, these accounts implied the transformation of the natural environment caused by human activities related with interregional transportation, especially maritime transshipment. Yeah, that's fascinating. So your research is truly that kind of uh, research that shows us with a very visible and a very uh, illustrative view on the situation in the local, with the situation in the smaller region, what we are actually looking at when we are looking at those kind of big theories. 
I'm very much looking forward to see the final results of your research. Mm -hmm. When will we be able to get your book in the academic bookshop of our choice? Okay, uh, my current <coughs> plans to um, finish modifying my dissertation by the end of uh, this semester, namely uh, by the end of January 2020, and I hope I could publish it next year. And uh, in the future, I also would like to extend my research on the hinterland societies within a broader interregional trading network in pre-modern China and to further investigate their multiple roles within different historical contexts. And besides that, I also like to continue my study on knowledge and cultural transfer through interregional communication, especially in the maritime activities between China and other countries. That sounds wonderful. We're very much looking mm -hmm. forward to your results. And yeah, for the moment, we are left to thank you for coming today, mm -hmm. to introducing your uh, research. Also, thank you to everybody for listening to this podcast today from Salzburg and goodbye. Thank you. My great pleasure. Goodbye. The Indian Ocean World podcast would like to acknowledge the generous support of the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada. This podcast series is part of the SSHRC-funded partnership project Appraising Risk Past and Present, interrogating historical data to enhance understanding of environmental crises in the Indian Ocean world.